the Gothic War. Omens of Darkness. 139 to 142M41. Many Imperial scholars believe the Gothic War to have started several years before the first invasion fleets actually entered the Gothic sector. With hindsight, a number of seemingly unconnected events can be linked together, warning of the darkness and bloodshed that was to come. Although the bulk of the Imperium's defences around the Eye of Terror were based in the area known as the Cadian Gate, there are many monitoring stations throughout the Segmentum Obscurus. These outposts are constantly raided and attacked by the Emperor's foes. But during the mid-2nd century of the 41st millennium, the number of these attacks dramatically increased. Most important of all, in the eyes of scholars, is the attack on the watch station at Arx. Due to its low priority and importance, Arx was inhabited by only a skeleton garrison of Imperial Guard, whose duty it was to protect the few tech adepts required to maintain the station's observation equipment. Early in 139, the scout frigate Ascendance received a garbled plea for help from Arx station's aging astropath. The attackers were unknown, and when reinforcements arrived four months later, there was no sign of those responsible. The Imperial Guardsmen stationed on the planet had been wiped out. As Captain Thetis of the 122nd Borlean Imperial Guard wrote in his journal, They had been horribly butchered. Their mutilated bodies left to the ever-present scavenging wild dogs that are Arx's only natural predators. The Inquisition sent one of their agents, the experienced Inquisitor Horst, but there was little evidence for him to uncover. If Arx had been the only outpost attacked in this way, the raid would have become just another intriguing riddle in a galaxy full of mysteries, soon to be forgotten. However, over the next three years, a number of similar attacks were reported throughout the neighboring systems and spreading into the adjacent sectors, and Inquisitor Horst began to suspect that some large scheme was in motion. However, with no proof to support his instincts or identify the attackers, he decided to watch and wait for his enigmatic enemy to make another move. Just over a year after the Ark's raid, several patrol vessels made grisly discoveries in the Athena sector. A number of Imperial merchant vessels and warships, one of them an Emperor-class battleship, were found drifting uncontrolled through wilderness space. Upon being boarded, it was found that the crews of the ship were all dead. Their disease-ridden corpses strewn along corridors and gantries, some found still at their workstations. Zabel Astalax, magus biologist of the Adeptus Mechanicus, listed the various symptoms he encountered on his examination of corpses from the merchant vessel Shanksy. The skin was blistered with many weeping sores, the blood thin and watery. Fungal growths were found within the brain cavity, which must have caused extreme pain and delirium when the victims were still alive. Each ship also bore the scars of a brief space battle and signs of being boarded, though no enemy dead could be found. As Inquisitor Horst puzzled over these new developments, his many agents and spies brought more news. A rumor was spreading amongst the captains of the Imperial Navy concerning an ancient despised chaos ship known as the Plague Claw. Crewed by pestilential followers of the God of Decay, 
This ship had been the scourge of the Imperial Navy for four millennia. The infection of the ship's crews and the reappearance of the Plague Claw must have been more than coincidence. And when a force of Chaos Marines from the Death Guard Traitor Legion sacked the Hive World of Morgengast, Horst was convinced that the forces of Chaos were planning another major incursion. The watchposts around the Cadian Gate were put on close alert, and Navy ships from all over the Segmentum Obscurus were detailed on increased patrols around Cadia. While Inquisitor Horst investigated the Chaos activity around Arx and its neighbouring systems, events began to take an even more sinister turn in the Gothic Sector, 2,500 light-years away. The navigators of the Navis Nobilite reported greater disturbance within the warp around the region, the incidence of warp storms gradually increasing as the year went on. On many worlds, this news was received with panic, a situation which was made more precarious by several religious fanatics, declaring that the Emperor was displeased and was sending warp storms to purge the unholy. This led to a number of sects forming, members stricken with feelings of impending doom. They were desperate for the Emperor's forgiveness, and as the shocked preacher of Flexburg noted, they spend their whole time flagellating themselves to purify their souls, decrying the excesses of their fellow men, and driving their neighbours to cast out the sinful and purge their own blasphemies. Their very laudable behaviour in itself, they have forgotten their sacred duties to the Emperor. While they wail and gnash their teeth, the coffers rattle emptily. On many planets, the cults became very powerful, swelled by popular support to such a degree that the ecclesiarchy and sometimes even the planetary government could do nothing to stop the rampaging hordes. As the hysteria spread, lynch mobs roamed hive cities and mining colonies seeking the impure. Impromptu burnings and hangings became commonplace as the desperate citizens threw themselves into a fervour of apocalyptic faith scouring their friends and loved ones to atone for real, or imagined, sins against the Emperor. Yet it was to no avail. Fleet Admiral Brather, when sending a message to the naval base at Portmore, lamented, And still, the warp swirls and rages and the situation becomes ever more desperate. Under cover of widespread paranoia, secret cults and covens insinuated themselves into positions of power, subverting ever more people to their twisted causes. Misguided followers of the Dark Gods openly proclaimed that chaos would save humanity when the Emperor had turned from them. Thousands, even millions, of Imperial citizens were deluded by false promises, flocking to these calls, and the Inquisition was hard-pressed to root out every cult member, deviant and heretic. To make the situation worse, Several naval vessels were destroyed in dock by reactor overloads and magazine explosions, though official reports declared the incidents the result of poor maintenance, faulty ammunition, or other ordinary causes. Many readily believed the tales of sabotage and rebellion within the Navy's own ranks. While the Gothic sector was being engulfed in anarchy and confusion, to say the least, Horst was searching for more clues to the plans of the heretics. When he heard of a chaos attack on the Imperial world of purgatory, he demanded to accompany the investigating fleet. There was one thing which made purgatory different from dozens of other raids, the device known only as the Hand of Darkness. 
Its existence, known only to a few of the most trusted members of the Inquisition, the Hand of Darkness was an incredibly ancient alien artifact located deep beneath the surface of Purgatory. All attempts to divine its purpose had proved fruitless, yet distant legends from older races such as the Eldar spoke of the Hand of Darkness with horror and revulsion. It was widely believed to be a weapon of immeasurable power, although its exact function was a mystery. When Horst arrived at Purgatory, the Inquisitor's deepest fears had come true. The Hand of Darkness was gone. If the followers of Chaos learned how to activate this unimaginably potent weapon, who could tell what destructive power they could unleash on the forces of the Imperium? Horst knew of another artifact connected to the Hand of Darkness in the old myths, called the Eye of Night. It was located on the rattling planet of Ornsworld. As Horst sped towards it on the fastest ship he could commandeer, a report came in of an attack on the Rattlings. A small force of renegades had landed close to where the Eye was embedded in an ancient statue, worshipped as a god by the Rattlings in pre-imperial times. After a brief skirmish, an Imperial Guard recruiting force stationed near to the Chaos Force's landing site drove off this initial foray. However, a month later, Chaos ships blockaded Ornsworld, and a full-scale invasion began. The defenseless Rattlings stood no chance against the depraved Chaos Marines, and the death toll reached millions as the hills and mountains were scoured with fire and shells by the followers of the Dark Gods. Lieutenant Compton Hawkins, attached to the recruitment team, recorded the scenes that followed the attack. Piles of rattling skulls towered over the plains. Funeral pyres blackened the skies as the traitors systematically wiped out everything in their path. The small settlement of Esmeralda's Dale is now but a smoking crater. The bones of its 4,000 inhabitants crushed to powder and scattered over the surrounding area. A powerful seismic detonation brought down the mountainside of the Great Belly, sweeping away seven towns and 82,000 rattlings in a tide of crushing boulders and boiling mudslides. Amongst the carnage, the Eye of Night was torn from its mounting, and the thief slipped away into the stars. The forces of Chaos now had both the Hand of Darkness and the Eye of Night, and with them, perhaps, the power to overthrow the Imperium in its entirety. Inquisitor Horst was tormented by a single question. Where would they strike first? The answer was to come all too soon. The old Inquisitor began compiling scattered reports of unusual activity in an ever-widening area and learned of the disruption engulfing the Gothic sector. As he headed for the region, more reports of sightings of Chaos vessels came to Horst's attention, reinforcing his belief that the Gothic sector was to be the arena of this latest incursion. A month after Horst arrived in the sector, three years after he had begun investigating the Ark's raid, a cataclysmic shockwave passed through the war. The massive storm engulfed the Gothic sector in swirling tempests, cutting the area off from the rest of the Imperium. Whatever happened next, the ships and warriors of the Gothic Sector would face it alone. Surprise Attack 143-M41 The first outright battles of the Gothic War were fought as the year 143-M41 came to a close. During the first few months of conflict, 
Chaos fleets launched a number of wide-ranging all-out attacks against Imperial Navy bases within the sector. Reports of attacking Chaos fleets flooded in from all across the Gothic sector. Much planning must have gone into the all-important first strike, as the Chaos fleets targeted a dozen major Imperial bases in the Gothic sector. With no warning, the Renegades struck hard and fast, ambushing Imperial warships as they were in dock or orbiting around their stations. Caught unawares and already overstretched by the increasing tension within the sector, the Imperial Navy was poorly prepared to respond to this sudden offensive. At Bladen, the Radamanthine had her starboard flight decks blown clean off by torpedoes, while a Sheree, the Doomfire bombers from the Heartless Destroyer, damaged the warp engines of the Lord Sylvanus so severely that it took nearly two years of constant repairs for the ship to be able to make warp jumps greater than five light years. Orbiting stations also fell to the Chaos Invaders, destroyed or captured by the swiftness of the attack. The loss of many of these orbital shipyards, such as Tripol Docks, Port Imperial and Gathara Station, were doubly felt. Not only were Imperial ships badly in need of refitting, but the means to do so were being put to use by the enemy. Captain Grove of the Admiral Drake, an old relentless-class cruiser used as a training vessel, was one of the few survivors of the attack at Hallam Ned Base in the Cyclops Cluster, which typified the style of attack used by the Chaos vessels. Grove and his crew were lucky to escape, as his entry log shows. Fourth Watch, third day of Euphostiles. Under attack from Renegade vessels, they approached from starward, blinding our surveyors. Long-range torpedo strikes have destroyed the Vanguard, a Dauntless-class light cruiser, and crippled the Indomitus Imperius, a Lunar-class cruiser. Broke from dock with the reactors still at 75% of operational capacity, engaged in short-range exchange with squadron of Renegade escorts, disabling our starboard batteries and destroying the torpedo tubes. Fires broke out in the port quarter galleries. The emergency bulkheads had to be lowered. Casualties estimated at 5,000 or more, many of them gun crews on the starboard decks. We are attempting to disengage, trying to avoid a slaughter class coming in around Hallamnet's gravity well, mortaring all available power to the engines to outrun him. Time to visit the chapel and pray for the Empress' protection. Fortunately for the crew of the Admiral Drake and many others, the Chaos fleets were not normally disposed towards lengthy battles, preferring instead to hit hard and then retreat, leaving the Imperial Navy suffering heavy losses, with many capital ships destroyed or needing months of repairs and refitting. However, the Chaos fleets did not achieve total success. In a few battles, the traitors suffered serious reversals, most notably during the defense of Hiveworld Aura, when one of the many Chaos war fleets, led by the Chaos Warmaster, Malefica Arkham, ambushed the Imperial Battle Group, which was stationed at Aura, they did not, on this occasion, find their enemy taken away as in helpless. Having just received orders to help put down a rebellion in a neighboring system, the Imperial Battle Group, led by Captain Compel Bast on the battlecruiser Imperius, was just preparing to break orbit. Already at full alert status, the Imperial ships easily evaded the raider's initial torpedo salvo and counterattacked. What happened next is best summed up by Bast himself. Unable to abort the attack, the Chaos ships swept onwards into a hail of torpedoes, gun deck fire, and land shots from Aura's orbital defenses. 
Our Nova Cannon struck the reviled, renegade, soulless, full-on, crippling the vessel in a huge blast of gas and debris. Extra beverage rations to the gun crew that night. As we closed in for the kill, the other Chaos ships abandoned their fellow vessel to its fate and attempted to escape. With a torrent of fire pouring into its breached hull, the Solus finally destroyed itself as its warp drives imploded under our continuous bombardment. Arkham's ship, the Deathbane, had its bridge smashed to pieces by a volley of fire from the Iron Duke, and rumors say that Arkham was the only man on the bridge to crawl from the wreckage, somehow protected by his dark masters. I cited our attack craft crews for their admirable performance of their duty. Several of our bomber wings were instrumental in reducing the Death Skull to a hulk. Unfortunately, we were unable to claim our prize as the hulk was gripped by Aura's pull and broken asunder in the upper atmosphere. Only a handful of Chaos escorts escaped without damage, and the Deathbane and its fleet was pursued out of the system by the vengeful Imperial commanders. Aura was not the only major setback inflicted upon the forces of darkness during the opening stages of the war. In one incident, a small Chaos fleet consisting of several Iconoclast and Infidel-class escorts bound for a raid on Denara in the Cyclops Cluster fell foul of the numerous bands of Orc pirates in the region. The garbled transmissions of the Chaos ships were intercepted, giving some idea of what happened. Using their traditional tactic of lurking in an asteroid field for an unweary victim, the Orcs leapt from hiding and plunged into the heart of the Chaos fleet. Unable to use their greater maneuverability in the swirl of asteroids, gas and dust clouds, the Chaos ships were mercilessly hammered by the Orcs and not one Chaos vessel survived the battle. Upon hearing this news, the Lord Admiral Ravensburg was quoted as saying, If he wasn't damned green-skinned scum, I'd make their commander my flag captain. Although he later denied this statement. Such occurrences were however rare, and the Greenskins were as happy to continue attacking Imperial shipping as they were to fight against the invading warfleets. The initial Chaos attacks struck at important installations such as Adeptus Mechanicus Forge Worlds and naval bases. Of the 17 bases in the Gothic sector, six of them were founded upon the Blackstone Fortresses. As the Liber Monumenta tells us, the architects of the edifices known as the Blackstone Fortresses remain unknown. All analysis of their materials and construction methods has proved inconclusive. Attempts to date them vary massively between 17,000 years old and 300,000 years. They have remained dormant since their discovery early in the second millennium of the Emperor's divine rule. Even with most of its systems inoperative, the Blackstone Fortress made an incomparable foundation for a naval base. After extensive refitting by the Adeptus Mechanicus, with Imperium-constructed defense turrets and primary weapon systems added, the Blackstone Fortress's defensive capabilities rivaled those of the naval command stations at Portmore itself. It was the pride of Battlefleet Gothic that no Blackstone Fortress had ever been taken in battle. This was to change at Rebo System, where the naval base Blackstone 4 orbited the system's fifth world. The Chaos Fleet, probably led by Abaddon himself, struck at Rebo 5. The Imperial ships on station put up a furious defense, but were overwhelmed by the size of the fleet facing them. 
20 capital ships, including two despoiler-class battleships and a score of escorting vessels, swept through Rebo's outer defences and attacked Blackstone 4 itself. The battle was short and bloody. Just as the Chaos fleet approached within range, the Blackstone Fortress's power systems shut down completely. With the energy grid dead, the guns were unable to fire, the armoured gates to the attack craft base couldn't be opened, and the personnel on board were defenceless. Soon after this information was projected by the station's chief astropath, Blackstone 4 fell to invaders. There was no more news from Rebo, and it was assumed there were no survivors. This was the first of a number of critical blows that shook the Imperial forces right from the outset of the war. Even as Abaddon pushed home his attack at Rebo, more disaster was to befall the loyal defenders of Gothic Sector. At Savaven, a cardinal world of the Ecclesiarchy, a few system defence ships could do little to protect their planet against a new and awesomely powerful vessel. Simply dubbed the Planet Killer, this monolithic ship bristled with gun decks, lance batteries and torpedo launch systems. As the defence monitors withdrew from its implacable advance, the Planet Killer achieved orbit over Safavin. Jeremiah Soldigan, commander of the Orbital Defence Forces, was later to record the dreadful events to follow. Within the Planet Killer's central cavity, we could detect a massive power surge. Energy crackled from a number of ports on the orb. Then, with a blast that blotted the sun from our scanners, it opened fire. The energy beam lasted for about half hour. Emperor knows how they could generate that much energy. We linked in to the planetary surveyors to see what was happening on the surface. That bolt bored its way through miles of the planet's crust and seared through the mantle beneath. As the attack finished, the magma surged forth through this continent-sized wound, breaking apart Savavin from within. The seas boiled into the skies, the ice caps melted and whole continents sunk beneath the tidal wave. With such an unimaginable release of energy, Savavin was blown out of her natural orbit and flipped over on her axis. I guess nobody was alive by then, but if they were, they didn't last long. Like a ration pack, crushed in your fist. Savavin just crumpled in on itself, then broke up into thousands of fragments. There's just an asteroid field there now. Really dense, impossible to navigate. There were 14 billion people living on Savavin. 14 billion dead in an hour. Saldigan and the other survivors were to suffer traumatic mental breakdowns from what they witnessed, and three months later they all took their own lives in a mass suicide. The effect on Imperial morale was devastating. All had heard of exterminators with fusion torpedoes, virus bombs and mass drivers. But to know the enemy had the ability to destroy an entire planet, not just all life on it, must have been the most chilling thought that any naval crewman had ever faced. As the Imperial Navy reeled at this news, Inquisitor Horst was left wondering if this was the power gained from the possession of the Hand of Darkness and the Eye of Night. If it was something else, then perhaps even worse news was to come. A constant problem for Lord Admiral Ravensburg, a commander of the entire battlefleet Gothic, 
was the presence of a large number of Eldar in the sector, making swift forays from their hiding places within the Grail Dark Nebula. It was even widely believed that an Eldar craft world was in the Gothic sector during the war, though there were no confirmed sightings and its location was never determined. Of the pirate forces plaguing the Imperium, the forces called the Executioners became highly active as the Gothic War progressed, until the number of their raids and attacks had increased from three in 143 to eight in 147. Unable to track the sophisticated Eldar ships back to their base and strongly suspecting that they were connected in some way to the elusive craft world, Ravensburg could do little to defend against the aliens and it was up to individual battlegroup commanders on how best to act against their slippery foe. Not only the Eldar preyed upon the transports and merchantmen of the Imperium, bands of human pirates, renegades from the Eye of Terror, and even the vessels of other alien races all increased their activity. Called wolf packs by the naval officers who chased them, these roving bands of small vessels hunted the ships and convoys of anybody and everybody. Admiral Coburn of the second battlecruiser fleet noted bitterly, if it came to a straight fight, they would be no match for our guns, but the raiders are canny and never risk open battle if they can avoid it. The packs nibble at the heels of our convoys, capturing a single transport here, a merchant vessel there, their favorite tactic is to lurk in asteroid fields or to operate from deserted moons where they are almost impossible to detect and even harder to root out. I even heard of one band that docked in a station in the upper atmosphere of a gas giant in the Fulham system. Every month brings more reports of their attacks, but we cannot spare more ships from the battle lines to escort the convoys. The Imperial fleet was fighting two enemies at once. The Chaos battle fleets and the Orc, Human, and Eldar pirates that had been a constant threat to Imperial shipping even before the Gothic War began. Everywhere, the Imperial forces were on the defensive, driven from world upon world, system upon system. Losses were high, and the shipyards and orbital stations fought an ever-increasing battle for supplies and manpower. Darkness had descended upon the Gothic sector, and it looked as if the light would never return. The Blackstone Fortresses, 144 M41. The Imperium was beset by many Chaos fleets led by individual war masters. Estimates vary from eight enemy fleets to 20 or more. Each was a rival to any battle group Lord Admiral Ravensburg could muster at the time. One in particular, led by the hateful Abaddon himself, was to pose the most serious threat of all. With the threat of Abaddon's planet killer looming over them. Many Imperial worlds surrendered without a fight. Subsector after subsector fell out of Imperial control, and with them a number of shipyards and orbital docks. As the Imperium faced increasing difficulties in repairing its vessels, building new ones became ever more unlikely. With its critical early strikes, Chaos may well have won the war before it had even started. There was one hope for the Imperial Navy. On a desolate moon orbiting a gas giant in the Lucatar system was an Adeptus Mechanicus facility. The tech priests were already researching the wisdom of their predecessors to uncover knowledge of more powerful weapon systems, more efficient drives, and better shield generators. 
A few Imperial ships were fitted out with these improved systems, but the results were never entirely satisfactory. A ship could only provide so much power, and if gunnery was improved, communications would suffer. If the engine power was increased, the shield generators could not be sustained. The search continued, with each new development slightly more successful than the last. Then, the ships of Abaddon arrived. Commodore Vandes, commanding 202 Red Squadron, consisting of four sword-class frigates, was among the first Imperial vessels to sight Abaddon since his attack on Blackstone 4. Second Dogwatch. 19th day of Aphrodal, Lucatar system. The reports from the Guardian stations were correct. Our assayers have picked up an energy pulse of unimaginable magnitude. The crew are whispering fearfully of the planet killer. But that was last sighted in Savia, 65 light years away. We are proceeding at full power to investigate. Ninth watch, 19th day of Aphrodal, Lucatar system. Even seeing it with my own eyes, I did not believe it. Several renegade capital ships are heading in system with a dozen escorts. With them, is a Blackstone Fortress. Damn my eyes, but it's true. It looks different, more organic, and somehow alive, if that were possible. Our surveyors have picked up several weapon systems which are not Imperial in construction. How have they managed to wake the beast? The Emperor's blood. They're building up energy to fire, even at this range. Third watch, first day of Sanaclus. Immaterium. We have left behind what remains of Lucatar Station. The captured Blackstone Fortress proved almost impregnable to our weapons. Those few of us who could fight through to attack it. It has weapons the like of which I have never seen. Even when fighting Eldar pirates or chasing down Fra'al raiders in their Bayan Moor. The fortress has pummeled Lucatar Station to rubble, taking only a few minutes with all its armaments brought to bear. There is only a seven light years jump from here to Brinegar where Blackstone 6 is stationed. We are proceeding with all speed to Brinegar to warn them of the attack, but I believe the Renegades will attempt to capture another of the Blackstones. I pray to the Emperor we can stop them. Even with Valdez's warning, there were few available ships left to defend Blackstone 6. As with the capture of the first fortress, the Chaos Followers had some means of controlling the Blackstone fortress from afar, able to shut down its power systems and turn it into a death trap for the tens of thousands of personnel aboard. Brinegar system fell to Abaddon four months after the attack on Lucatar. While Lord Admiral Ravensburg pondered the many military and logistical problems facing his isolated sector, he was visited by Inquisitor Horst. What passed between them was never recorded, though it is widely believed that the revered Inquisitor told Ravensburg of the Hand of Darkness and the Eye of Night. A plan was formulated to try to recapture the Blackstone Fortresses by covert means rather than open attack. However, before this plan achieved any visible results, news came through of another assault by Avedon's fleet, this time at Blackstone 1 in the Falaris system. The personal log of First Lieutenant Elijah Borgia of the Vindictive was recovered from the hulk of the ship, found floating towards the Falaris star. We are in luck today. Abaddon's fleet has attacked from the other side of Phalaris too, which means they'll have to dare the orbital and planetary defense systems to get to Blackstone 1. We have only just upgraded our weapons on Phalaris 2, but just such an occurrence 
and I doubt even with his two fortresses our enemy will survive. Borgia's early optimism was to be cruelly shattered. But the two Blackstones have taken up station 5,000 leagues from each other, some 75,000 leagues from Phalaris too, and just out of range of the weapons platforms, except for the torpedo launchers. We are picking up an energy surge in the two fortresses. They're powering up for something. Tech priest Flavex says there's some kind of energy exchange between them. Emperor's teeth, I can see it myself now. A column of shifting energy linking the two fortresses together. The surge is still rising. The power beam becoming more visible. The damned astropath is screaming now, yelling something about a breach into warp space. What hellspawn trick are they up to? Oh my... Other recovered evidence points towards an energy beam being unleashed towards Valaris 2. The Vindictive was caught full on. Her shields overloaded instantly and outer hull vaporized as the energy wave passed over the ship. Valaris 2 was later found with its atmosphere stripped off and the surface scoured to a rocky plain. The Blackstone won. There was no sign. The war continues. 144 to 149. M41. Across the entire Gothic sector, the Chaos and Imperial fleets clashed. For five years, the battles continued, with the death toll on both sides running into billions. Planets were invaded and recaptured, fleets ambushed, bases attacked, and all the while the sector was isolated from any outside help. From Hammerhead Deeps to the Cyclops Cluster, Imperial ships fought desperately to hold back the Chaos ships that spilled into the Gothic sector. In some areas, the Emperor's forces were hurled back by the ferocity of their foe, while other regions, protected by more skilled or experienced battle group commanders, held against the initial impetus of the Chaos attack. It is impossible to chart exactly the ebb and flow of battle, and many worlds changed hands four, five, or even six times during the period of fiercest fighting. By 147M41, the Lycidi subsector was almost entirely overrun, and Chaos ships held sway in over a dozen systems surrounding Port Moor. However, in the Cyclops cluster, the Orcs gave the Chaos vessels stiff resistance, and from staging points in the Quanrock Sound, the Imperial fleet launched many counterattacks, pushing back the spread of Chaos for months before being forced to turn their attention to incursions elsewhere. While the Imperial Navy and the Renegades dueled across the stars, the attacks from orcs, eldar, and human pirates increased. With the watchful eye of the Imperial Navy elsewhere, these bandits had an almost free reign. Convoys were captured, raiding parties sacked cities, and on dozens of worlds, millions died from disease and starvation. Those convoys that did get through safely often found enemy warships prowling through their destination system, blockading all craft entering and establishing a stranglehold on the worlds they besieged. On the hive world of Stranivar, three hive cities, with inhabitants running into a hundred billion souls, were overcome with rioting due to the shortages of drinkable water. With no incoming supplies, the world's own recycling centers were unable to cope, and four-fifths of the population died from dehydration before the next convoy managed to break through the chaos blockade. The docks and shipyards were frequently starved of supplies, and ships which put in for repairs and rearming were often sent into battle with only makeshift refits and half-empty magazines. 
While Lord Ravensburg's forces struggled with the ships of the Chaos War Masters, the Imperial fleet made significant progress against another deadly foe. A rough confederacy of nearly two dozen pirate bands had gathered in the Quinrock Sound. With over 50 escort-sized vessels, a captured Gothic-class cruiser and two salvaged Lunar-class cruisers, the Marauders had become a serious threat to the security of shipping in the subsector. Lord Admiral Ravensburg, unable to turn his attention from stemming the Chaos incursion, ordered Fleet Admiral Morndark to deal with the pirates in any way he saw fit. Morndark drew ships from battle groups across the sector, including the Sword of Orion, Havoc, Uziel, Fortitude, and the fearsome Cipropubate. Along with these capital ships, Morndark also took command of the 24th Destroyer Squadron, the Widowmakers, the 1st Frigate Echelon, Eagle Claws, and the Sword-class frigates of the Anvil 206 Patrol Flutilla. With a large convoy of empty transports, Morndark lured the pirates into attacking. When the Imperial ships counterattacked, Morndark ordered that at least one of the renegades be allowed to escape. With the aid of the master navigator, Absalon Drow, Morndark and his fleet were able to follow the surviving pirates back to their lair in the barbarous Costa system. Confident in the knowledge that they were safe in their den, the pirates had given little thought to defences. The Imperial attack came as a total surprise, as Morndark concluded in a report to Lord Ravensburg after the battle. We fell upon them like hounds at the chase. They tried to scurry and bolt for their holes, but my escorts were ready for them. The Cipra Prubate herself claimed 15 kills that day, and their losses must have been in excess of 30 ships in total. Many fled to the surface of Barbarous Free, thinking themselves safe from our guns. How wrong they were. Using plasma torpedoes, modified by Magus Orleana of the Adeptus Mechanicus, we set fire to the atmosphere of the near-deserted world, burning them out. Only three vessels emerged from the conflagration, asking for clemency. Our guns showed them the mercy of the Emperor. With a large proportion of the pirates dealt with in one blow, Ravensburg was able to concentrate his forces onto fighting back against the Chaos fleets once again. The Imperium Resurgent. 150 to 151, M41. For the first seven years of the Gothic War, the Imperium had been fighting defensively across an extended battlefront. As 150, M41, passed into the year 151, M41, Lord Admiral Ravensburg decided to take the fight to the enemy and claw back what had been taken. Knowing that although the Chaos ships were more numerous overall, they were divided into many smaller fleets, it was Lord Ravensburg's hope that he could destroy his attackers if he could bring the weight of Battlefleet Gothic to bear against each of the Chaos fleets individually. This was a very risky ploy, because to amass the Battlefleet in any strength meant weakening convoy escorts, system patrols, and squadrons on anti-pirate duties. Ravensburg stated his reasons in a missive to Inquisitor Horst, saying, These are troubling times that require resolute action. If we do not act boldly and with the confidence of the Emperor, we will be bled dry within ten years, and we will have lost the whole sector to our enemies. Not only will a decisive blow eliminate enemy vessels, 
It will send a message to the Chaos fleets and the Imperial forces alike. The Imperium is not going to give up without a fight. Now, after numerous aborted attacks and false starts, Ravensburg saw his first real chance in mid-151M41, when scout vessels reported a Chaos fleet moving en masse towards the Gafsamain system. Ordering his task force to get underway with all possible speed, Ravensburg took personal command aboard the Divine Right. With 17 capital ships, including two battleships and two battle cruisers, and 20 escorts under his command, Ravensburg pursued the enemy fleet into the Gafsamain region. Suddenly becoming aware of their plight, the Chaos forces headed out system again to try to get far enough from Gafsamain Star to make a warp jump. Ravensburg detached the fastest vessels in his fleet to pursue, and a week-long stern chase ensured. What happened next was recorded in the memoirs of Captain Blythe of the Guardian. As we followed the fleeing foe, signals came in warning of another enemy fleet on a closing course. We had been lured into a trap. Bolstered by a further twelve ships, the Chaos fleet turned on us, and it was all we could do to evade the bulk of the enemy. Even in doing so, we lost three destroyers and four frigates in a series of small skirmishes. The enemy losses totaled at least five escorts, and maybe as many as ten or more. With all of our big guns in Lord Ravensburg's command, there was little to do but run. The hunters had become the hunted. Blythe and his battle group headed back towards the vicinity of Ravensburg's main fleet. But even with Ravensburg's capital ships, the Imperial forces were still outgunned to a serious degree. For three days, the two fleets circled and dodged each other through the system. Neither fleet commander prepared to commit the bulk of his ships against an enemy whose exact position was unknown. Three weeks after arriving in the system, Ravensburg's fleet and the Chaos ships clashed. Six Firestorm-class frigates located the Chaos fleet near to Gafsamain II, using the cover of several dust clouds to avoid being detected themselves. Seizing the opportunity, the Lord Admiral moved his whole fleet in on the attack. Ravensburg's Cobra destroyers launched several torpedo salvos at extreme range. Although they had little hope of inflicting damage, the torpedo attacks forced the Chaos ships to alter their heading, so that they were moving towards the Imperium's capital ships. Flag Lieutenant Martin, aboard the Divine Right, related the battle's events. Forced into a head-on clash with our fleet, the Chaos vessels came off poorly in the initial exchange of fire. Salvos of torpedoes screamed into their fleet, some evaded, others hitting home with blossoms of explosions. With our forged shields and armoured prows, their return fire did little damage. Our escorts carefully kept the enemy herded in a compact mass as we passed through their lines. The ship shook as we fired both broadsides simultaneously. Then Lord Ravensburg gave the order, and we poured a continuous fusillade into their ships. The stars were thick with the enemy. We could hardly miss at that range. The Imperial fleet tore through their adversaries, crippling four capital ships and destroying 11 escorts in the initial pass. Rather than turning to fight, which with hindsight would have given him the greater chance of victory, the Chaos Warmaster ordered his fleet to continue on their course in a bid to escape. It looked as if the Chaos fleet would escape justice again, as the faster renegade vessels accelerated away from Ravensburg's pursuit. Even as the enemy drew away, more drama was to occur, as this account by Captain Drew of the Fortitude shows. They attacked without warning. 
One minute the screen was clear. The next, a veritable armada of Eldar ships had appeared in front of the Chaos Fleet. Recognizing the colors of the executioners among their vessels, we feared for our lives, even as we attempted to haul onto a new heading. Our dread became ecstatic happiness. The Eldar attacked the enemy, not us. I remember hearing cries of joy across the bridge as a pulse of lance shots burned through the hull of one of their battleships, sending debris tumbling and flames crawling along its upper gun decks. Caught between the attacking Eldar and Ravensburg's fleet, the Chaos ships were annihilated, although a dozen more of the Emperor's vessels were crippled or destroyed before victory was finally attained. Why the Eldar decided to lend their weight to the Imperial cause was never discovered, though it is common belief that they had finally heard of Abaddon's capture of the Blackstone fortresses and had seen an alliance as the only chance of survival. As the news of Ravensburg's great victory in the Battle of Gafsamain was spread throughout the fleet, even more promising tidings were to come. In the late months of 151, the warp storms that had isolated the Gothic sector began to abate, and several ships from neighboring battle fleets arrived to reinforce the Lord Admiral's bloodied fleets. The battle barges and strike cruisers of several Space Marine chapters also arrived, bringing fresh elite troops to the fighting. The Imperium's solid defense, though broken in places, had prevented the Chaos fleets from achieving swift victory, and with the help of the Eldar and ships from nearby sectors, the Emperor's servants could go on the offensive. Just as Ravensburg had been contemplating defeat, it seems that Avedon was equally loath to give up what he had won. With two, possibly even three, Blackstone fortresses under his command, it was Abaddon who was the greatest threat to Imperial worlds in the Gothic sector. Just how much of a threat was not realized until the attack on the Tarantis system. On the edges of Gothic sector, Tarantis was a common gathering ground for ships entering or leaving the region from the Tamahal sector, and so it was here that Abaddon tried to stem the flow of reinforcements coming in. His main fleet, accompanied by all three of the missing Blackstone fortresses, swept aside the few Imperial ships close to where it broke from the warp. Closing rapidly into the system, the cruisers and battleships of the Chaos Armada punched a hole through the defenders to allow the Blackstone fortresses to break through. Countless millions of Navy personnel and Imperial Guard died, planets were destroyed, and an uncountable number of innocents perished as the two mighty fleets clashed. But what happened next was to totally eclipse all the horrific events of the war so far. Combining their power together in the same fashion as at Fularis, the Blackstones unleashed a massive energy wave into the Tarantus star. With their objective complete, the Chaos ships conducted a fighting withdrawal and then jumped into warp space once more. For a whole month, the Tarantus star raged and boiled. Tortured storms moved across its surface its corona expanding to engulf the two nearest worlds. Any that could leave fled the system, but to evacuate the populations of three worlds was an impossible task. Four weeks after Abaddon's attack, Tarantus's star went nova, wiping out everything for many thousands of billions of miles in every direction in a storm of gas and plasma. Tarantus, a whole star system, was no more, and Abaddon had the power to unleash this destruction wherever he wished. Lord Ravensburg firmly believed that Abaddon would try to capture the other three Blackstone fortresses, but he had no idea against which of the three the Chaos Warmaster would strike next. 
The hunt continued for six months, with Imperial and Eldar ships patrolling through long-forgotten systems in a desperate bid to find Abaddon and his horrific weapons. Then the forces opposing Chaos achieved a breakthrough. The Eldar had located Abaddon's fleet in the Lower Lycides and were able to use their sophisticated ships to trail him through the warp. From his course, it was clear that the Warmaster was preparing to launch an attack on Schindelgast, where Blackstone V floated in the depths of space, leaving only a few vessels to deal with the other Chaos fleets, Ravensburg and the Eldar raced to reach Schindelgast before Abaddon. Using ancient warp gates shown to them by the Eldar, the Imperial Admiral sped across the sector and arrived five days before Abaddon was due to reach the area. With a constant stream of information concerning Abaddon's actions, the Imperial ships and Eldar lay in wait. Outnumbered and caught by surprise, there was little the traitorous ship captains could do except die fighting. For three days, the two mighty fleets battled, inflicting horrendous casualties on both sides. But for all their ferocity, the Chaos ships simply could not match the forces arranged against them. As the third day of fighting drew to its bloody conclusion, Abaddon once more broke the Blackstone fortresses through the Imperial defense and headed towards the Star. Ravensburg ordered all available ships to intercept them, though he knew there was little he could do to stop the behemoths. Only the Flame of Purity was close enough to attack, but the battlecruiser's weapons had little effect against the huge stations. As the fortresses built up power for their cataclysmic attack, they were again linked by powerful energy beams. Seeing only one chance, Captain Adrabal ordered all power to the shields and drove the Flame of Purity into the middle of the converging energy waves. The ship was destroyed almost instantly, scattered into its constituent atoms. However, the detonation had expended the fortress's power, and, as Adrabal had hoped, the Blackstone fortresses would take some time to accumulate the energy required for another attack. Luckily, time was something that Abaddon had run out of. Their power systems drained. The Blackstone fortresses could do little. Abaddon managed to escape into the warp with two of them, after a lengthy chase to the edges of the Schindelgeist system and a jump into warp space dangerously near to the gravity well. The Imperial fleet closed in on the third, unleashing all of their weapons, although still to little effect. Finally, two strike cruisers from the Angel's Redemption Space Marines chapter, combined with assault boats from the Divine Rite, boarded the isolated Blackstone in an attempt to recapture it. Ensign Goldwyn was part of the Navy's boarding party, and he later reported to his superiors we were astounded to find no crew aboard the Blackstone Fortress. There was no opposition at all to our boarding, and on entering I found it entirely unrecognizable from the base where I had been trained. The walls themselves pulsed with energy, the surface of which had become deep veined black, totally unlike the harsh white painted corridors and rooms I had called home for six years. There was no sign at all of the modifications made by the tech priests, as if our intrusion had been totally expunged. We had been aboard for perhaps an hour when suddenly a high-pitched whine filled the air and the walls became ruddy in colour. A sense of panic filled our hearts and we hurried back to the sharks, our assault boats. We were just in time, as no sooner had we left than the fortress began to break up, slowly shattering into thousands of fragments. It should have been a happy moment to see our enemy destroyed, 
But although I cannot say why, my heart was filled with sorrow, and I could not get over the feeling that something magnificent had died. At about the same time, the recaptured Blackstone destroyed itself, the other fortresses across the Gothic sector also self-destructed. Nobody at the time knew whether the Blackstones, under Abaddon's control, had been destroyed in a similar fashion. That knowledge would only come with the launching of the 13th Black Crusade and the terrible events which followed. How or why the Blackstone fortresses were obliterated remains a mystery, but Inquisitor Horst reportedly said to Lord Ravensburg, who can tell what Abaddon could have done with all six? Some things are too dangerous to be allowed to exist, and someone or something decided that the Blackstone fortresses are amongst those things. The Closing Years 152-160, M41 With Abaddon's fleet gone, the attention of the Imperial Navy was turned on the other Chaos fleets. The warp storms had decreased to almost their normal level, and scores of ships poured into the Gothic sector. Many of the Chaos Warmasters followed Abaddon and fled back to the Eye of Terror to nurse their hatred and bitterness until another opportunity to attack. Four battle groups, each consisting of several dozen capital ships and escorts, systematically engaged and destroyed many of those who remained, eradicating them each in turn. In the Portmore subsector, titanic running battles between Admiral Storm's 2nd Cruiser Battle Group and the war fleet of Heinrich Vale lasted for two years as the Chaos ships slipped from system to system, turning to fight when the odds were in their favour, fleeing before the Emperor's wrath at other times. The battle for Crinrock Sound claimed yet more lives as solitary Chaos vessels sped through the tangled debris picking off the occasional Imperial escort or cruiser sent to hunt them down. Although the battles across the stars were drawing to a close, it took a further eight years to retake the worlds that had been captured by the forces of chaos. Many of them were utterly devastated, their populations enslaved or sacrificed to the dark gods, the lands ravaged by war. Slowly but surely, the Imperial Guard scoured these planets of the taint of chaos. The missionaries and confessors of the Ecclesiarchy set about restoring faith in the Emperor, and the Inquisition hunted down those who had collaborated with the followers of the Dark Gods. However, the fight is never truly finished. There are worlds within the Grail Dark Nebula that still await the Emperor's fleets to free them. There are scattered Chaos ships and even two or three fleets that still roam the darkness between the stars of the Hammerhead Deeps and the Cyclops Cluster, waiting for their chance to strike again. As more warships of the followers of Chaos departed or were destroyed, Ravensburg ordered two of the large battle groups to concentrate on the pirates who had grown powerful during the carnage. Like the Chaos fleets, they were each hunted down in turn, many of the bands breaking up and seeking sanctuary in forgotten star systems and in uncharted asteroid fields. The orcs of the Cyclops cluster became the target of extensive pogroms, forced from worlds where they had enslaved millions, smashed from star systems where their crude ships had preyed upon Imperial shipping. Twenty years of war had left deep scars, and it will still take centuries of blood, sweat and toil to repair the harm, both physical and spiritual, that has been wreaked by Abaddon and his minions. And that may be nigh impossible since the fall of Cadia and the birth of the Great Rift. For the Imperial Navy, and Battlefleet Gothic in particular, 
the cost had been high, both in human life and in numbers of ships. Great sacrifices had been made, and great heroes had met the challenge. Through the determination, courage, and loyalty of every man in the Navy, the war had been won. The High Lords of Terror recognized the efforts of the entire Sector fleet, and the name of each crewman who served in the war, from Lord Admiral Ravensburg to the lowest rating on the smallest merchant ship, was engraved upon a specially constructed monolith, which stands ten times the height of a man in the chambers of heroes in the Imperial Palace itself. Inquisitor Horst slipped away to pursue his duties elsewhere, and it is rumored that he spent the rest of his life hunting Abaddon, questing to find what had become of the Blackstone fortresses Abaddon may have escaped with. Of the success of his self-imposed mission, no report has ever been made, and he has not been seen since the end of the Gothic War. Through those dark times, the Gothic sector had survived, and life would eventually return to some form of normal for the brave men of the Imperial Navy. The running battles with Eldar pirates, the constant search for treacherous smugglers, the crushing of heretics and rebels, and the thousand other jobs for which humanity owes the Imperial Navy its eternal thanks. May the Emperor protect. And there we have it. The history of the Gothic Sector War, which I think is a nice complimentary piece to the recent readings I've done of Execution Hour and Shadow Point, which are novels which concern some of the major events in the Gothic so Sector War, uh, such as uh, Inquisitor Horst's uh, tracking down of the, the mystery of what Abaddon was doing, the, uh, the planet killer, the alliance with the Elder. <laughs> My mind went blank. And uh, it's got some amazing characters in it. Uh, Leighton Semper, uh, Maxim Barossa, of course, a fan favourite. But uh, yeah, fantastic little compliment to that. And a, and a great bit of the lore, one of my favourite bits. The Battlefleet Ar Armada games are also a good complimentary to that. If you want to go and watch the cinematics for them, I recommend them. Uh, they're really good at visualising this. And those games as well were pretty sick as well. It's a shame the um, multiplayer died so soon. I was really into that. But anyway... I will see you all again soon, more stuff is coming up, so stay tuned, please like the video, subscribe if you're not subscribed, uh, let me know in the comments what you think, all these things really help the channel and uh, the channel grow and uh, help me out. Uh, if you'd like to directly support, I really, really appreciate that, as these fine gentlemen have here, uh, as their names are scrolling past, and uh, you will get your name on this board as well. Uh, if you'd like to do that, you can become a YouTube member by clicking the join button down below and become a direct supporter of the YouTube channel or you can become a patron on Patreon or over on Subscribestar if you prefer. Thank you all for your continued support. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your patience as well. The uh, channel's been a bit ropey with content delivery the last couple of, uh, about two months or so. I've had some big life events occur. So yeah, uh, bear with me. We should be back to normal. A normal-ish production uh, output, uh, I don't know. Stuff will be coming regular. <laughs> all right, I'll see you later. Thanks very much for watching. I appreciate it, and uh, I'll be back again very, very soon. Thanks again. Ta-ra. Bye-bye.